0: Well, today we come to conclude our study in James' letter. As has been said, the purpose of the letter is our spiritual maturity. I think as parents we all understand that to some degree because it is our desire for our children that they grow up to become mature adults. It is the desire of God that His children mature in their walk with Him. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.14, We are no longer to be children. So the admonition that Paul gives to us there is that we are to grow up in the faith. The writer of Hebrews wrote, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you. So the problem addressed by the writer of Hebrews is that there were believers who should be teachers, but they still needed someone to teach them. There were believers who should be leaders, but they still were looking for leaders. There were believers who should be serving others, but they were still looking for someone to serve them. The letter of James is 108 verses that call us to spiritual Maturity, And today, as we conclude, we look at the backslider. I have already been told by several this morning to take it easy. Don't say a lot, which caused me to believe that they took it personally, and maybe they should. James chapter 5, we'll look at verses 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, the situation that James is describing here is that of someone who has strayed from God. There are three questions we need to ask. First of all, who is being addressed? And so you look there in verse number 19, and he says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth. So the one who is being addressed is a believer. In fact, this entire letter is written to believers. If you look back in James chapter 1, verse number 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren. In chapter 2, verse number 1, my brethren. And then in chapter 3, verse number 1, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. And then in chapter 4, verse number 11, do not speak against one another, brethren. And then here in verse number 19. So he said, if there is a brother, someone among you, so the person then who is being addressed is a believer. It is someone who is a Christian. Now, what has occurred? What's the problem? Look again at verse 19. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth. Now, someone has strayed from the truth. To stray means, first of all, that I must be apart. I cannot stray from something of which I am not a part. So we are talking about someone here who is a brother who has strayed from the truth. I have been asked... Uh, At other times, do Baptists believe in backsliding? And my response has been, not only do they believe in it, they practice it. (laughs) There are many examples of those who are brethren, those who have been born again, those who have been followers of God, who have strayed from God. For instance, we can look at the description given of Noah in Genesis chapter 7, verse number 1. Listen. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all of your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Now, that was God's description of Noah. He said, I have seen you as being righteous. Now, you know the story. God said, I am going to judge the earth, I am going to send a flood, so I want you to build an ark. When the ark was completed, then God said to Noah, now get your family and get inside. So Noah and his family then were spared. They were saved by God's grace. And then the flood came, you recall, and almost immediately after the flood waters had subsided, things changed. And so the scripture says in Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and became drunk. So here's the man God referred to as being righteous. And we see him almost immediately after the flood waters had subsided, drunk, which is rejected by the word of God. So here is Noah, a man described as righteous, and he strayed from his commitment to God. There's Simon Peter. You know the story of Simon Peter and how Jesus was uh, telling of his upcoming death. And, and uh, Simon Peter said uh, and that one of them was going to betray him. And Simon Peter said, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you. Though everyone else fall by the wayside, though everyone else desert you, Lord, you can count on me. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm even willing to die for you. It was within a matter of hours after he had made that commitment that Simon Peter denied that he knew the Lord three times. Most of us would confess that we have strayed from the Lord at times. I certainly have to. I was brought up in a Christian home. Became a Christian when I was a boy. But when I got to be 12 to 13 years old, I began to drop out of church. I began skipping church, and after a while I was out completely. And I was out of church and away from God until I was in my mid-twenties. And so most of us would probably say, as we look at our lives, that there have been times when we have strayed from the Lord. Now, the third question is, what has he strayed from? In verse number 19, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth. He strays from the truth. There are two ways to stray from the truth. We can stray from the truth morally or intellectually. Now, David is an example of someone who strayed from the truth morally. He knew the truth. But you know the story of David as well when he was up on the rooftop once and he looked down and saw Bathsheba bathing and he desired her so he sent for her, he took her, committed adultery with her. Now he knew the truth but he strayed morally. There are other people who stray from the truth intellectually, and one of the sad things to me is that in my lifetime and in my ministry I have seen men who knew the truth, but then morally they strayed from the truth, and then I saw their sons stray from the truth intellectually because they rejected what their fathers had taught them because their fathers were not living it. So he says then there is someone who has strayed from the truth. Now, what happens when someone within the congregation strays? What are we to do? What is the recommendation? Look at verse number 19 again. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back. When someone strays from the truth, what are we to do? We who have not strayed from the truth. Talk about them? Condemn them? Well, that's not what Jesus did. You also are familiar with the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The religious leaders condemned her. But in John chapter 8, verse number 11, And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way from now on. Sin no more. So, What did Jesus do? Did He condemn the woman? No, He said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. So what are we to do then when someone strays from the truth? The Bible says in this passage of Scripture that we are to turn Him back. We are to restore Him. So the situation in these two verses is that someone has strayed from the truth, and the congregation is to restore that person. Now, oftentimes we are unsuccessful in restoration because of our attitude. Many times we are not able to restore one who has strayed because our attitude is not right. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 verse number 1, brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. If we are going to be successful in restoring someone who has strayed, three things Paul says. First of all, we must be spiritual. In other words, I must first of all be right with God. If I am going to be successful in restoring someone who has strayed, then I'm going first of all, I first of all must deal with my own sin. Which is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 5. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, the point is... That if I'm going to be involved in the restoration of someone who has strayed, first of all, I must deal with my own sin so that I am right with God. And then if I am right with God, there is the possibility that I will be able to, to then help the one who has strayed from the truth. Spiritual. Gentle. Paul said, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You know, there is no one more sensitive than a backslidden Christian. I mean, they take every... You talk about someone going around with their feelings on their sleeves. They are offended at everything. I personally think that it is the conviction of the Spirit that they know what they're doing is wrong, and so they are very sensitive. In fact, I have announced before, it's always amusing to me. Well, it ought not be, I don't guess, but sometimes when I've announced that I'm going to preach on tithing, and then I see people get up and leave. And I think, well, we probably didn't lose anything anyway. But they're very sensitive. Now, because that is true, because the person who has strayed, the person who is backslidden, is very sensitive, he says, then we must be gentle. We are not to be spiritual hit men, going out hitting on those who have strayed. I have known preachers before who, who uh, say, well, you know, I'm a prophet, and they'll beat the thunder out of you. You know, just I'm a prophet, and they just beat the thunder out of you. There is no gentleness at all. The Bible says, speaking the truth what are the next two words? In love. Speaking the truth in love. Yeah, it's one thing to speak the truth, it's something else to do it in love. I am to speak the truth. I have no right to compromise the Word of God. I must speak the truth. But what he says is that we are to speak the truth in love. So, we must be spiritual, we must be gentle, and then we must be humble. Humble. In Galatians 6, 1, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. I think one of the reasons that the Apostle Paul was effective is that... Paul was humble. Now, I know he is charged oftentimes with pride and so forth, and I think he had great confidence in Jesus, but I do not believe that Paul was prideful at all. I think that he was an humble person. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Paul said, I'm not perfect. I preach the perfect Word of God, but I certainly am not perfect. And then Paul said in First 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. If we are going to restore someone who has fallen, then we have to be humble. To be candid with you, it is difficult for me to be judgmental towards someone who has fallen. Because there is always in the back of my mind that expression, but for the grace of God, there go I. It could just as easily be me. It could just as easily be me who strayed. So he says, if we are going to restore someone, we must have the right attitude. We are to be spiritual. I must first of all deal with my own sin. I am to be gentle, so as not to unnecessarily offend. And I am to be humble, understanding that it could be me. Then there's the process of restoration. And first of all, we have to believe that restoration is a possibility. Now, if we do not believe that, we'll not make the attempt. When someone strays, if we do not believe that God can restore that person, then we will not do our part to restore that person. You say, Well, yeah, but you know, there are certain sins. Well, you know, there's examples in the Bible of a lot of different sins where people have been restored. What about denial? I mentioned earlier about Simon Peter. Simon Peter denied the Lord three times. And then there's that wonderful passage of scripture in John chapter 21, when Jesus met with Peter and he asked him the question, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, well, then feed my sheep. He said, there's still work for you to do. I want to restore you to service. And Simon Peter, who had denied knowing the Lord, spent the rest of his life serving the Lord, and according to tradition, died as a martyr because of his commitment to the Lord. That's denial. What about doubt? Well, there was Thomas, and we're familiar with Thomas. He doubted the resurrection. After the other disciples saw the resurrected Jesus, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that. That doesn't make any sense to me. The man's dead. I saw him die. Saw him buried. You're telling me that he's alive? I'll not believe that until I take my fingers and put in the nail prints of his hands and take my hand and thrust into his side. I'll not believe that. And then Jesus said and said, Thomas... Here are my hands. Here's my side. And Thomas was restored from doubt. What about sexual sin? What about sexual sin? Well, there's the example of David. He committed adultery. And then there is Psalm chapter 51, when he went to the Lord and poured out his heart. Read Psalm 51 when you get home. It it is a wonderful uh, expression of how to repent. And David pours his heart out to God in repentance, and God restored him. And the best work that David did was after that, unfaithfulness can be restored. We sang a while ago, what grace that is greater than all my sin. God's grace is greater than my sin. God's grace is greater than your sin, no matter what it is. What is the process of restoration? Well, what does he tell us? He says, first of all, pray for the brethren. Pray for those who have strayed. The truth is, too often we want to gossip about the one who has strayed rather than to pray for the one who has strayed. We're to pray for them. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.18, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Folks, If there's someone who has strayed, we're to pray for them. We're to pray for them. Now, having said that, there are times when the person who has strayed must be confronted with their sin. The Bible says in Galatians 2.11, But when Cephas, Simon Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, that is an example of when Paul confronted Simon Peter. What had happened is that Peter had come and preaching about the grace of God and so forth. And so he was eating with the Gentiles. And then there were some representatives from the First Baptist Church in Jerusalem who came down, James Church. And when they were there, Peter wanted to impress them. And so he stopped eating with the Gentiles. And Paul went to him and said, Peter, you're acting like a hypocrite. You were eating with these people, but now then when someone from James' church comes, you have stopped eating with them. You have withdrawn from fellowship. And he said, so I confronted him to his face. There are times when there has to be confrontation of sin. We are to be persistent, never giving up on the backslider. In 1 Timothy 4.16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And then there is faith, leaving it in the hands of God. Great example of restoration. My favorite example in the Bible of restoration is the story of the prodigal son. He went away from his father, went out and lived in the far country and so forth. And then when he ended up there in the pig pen, and the Bible says, first of all, that he came to his senses. He said, I must have been out of my mind when I left. What in the world am I doing in the pig pen when my father's servants live better than I do? I must have been out of my mind. He came to his senses and he said, I'm going to tell my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. That is confession. I have sinned. And then there's repentance. He said, I'll arise and go to my father. You see, that is an example, that is a a perfect example of how one is restored. Coming to, to one's senses. Confessing one's sin and getting up and making things right. That is repentance. Alright, there's the results of restoration in verse number 20. Now, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Save his soul from death. I do not believe that that is speaking of someone losing their salvation, because I, I do not believe that that can happen. I believe that when a person is saved, they are secure in Christ, that they cannot lose their salvation. There are a lot of scriptures for that. Let me give you one example that, uh, that I think of. And, and the Bible says when we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as being the earnest. We receive the earnest of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what an earnest is. If you're going to buy a house and they say, Okay, we want you to put down some earnest money, then you put some money up front. What happens if later you decide that you don't want the house? What happens to the earnest money? Now, that's a question. What happens to the earnest money? You lose it. All right, now, if the Holy Spirit then is the earnest... God says, I'm making a deposit in you that I'm going to take you to heaven. And God does not do that. I don't make it to heaven. What happens to the earnest? He goes to hell with me. I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to the hell. All right. So I believe that we are secure. And I don't, therefore, I don't believe that he is speaking about losing salvation here. So what then are we being saved from? If we restore someone and they are saved, what are they being uh, saved from? Discipline. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. God disciplines us that we might repent, that we might turn back. But let's say that someone has strayed. Before discipline comes, they repent and come back to the Lord. So then there's no discipline because repentance has already occurred. So we're saved then from discipline. And we can also be saved from physical death. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe in the security of the believer, but I do not believe that is a license for sinning. I don't believe that a Christian can get away with sin. Not if you're a child of God. God disciplines His children. If one is a child of God, if one has truly been born again, then that person cannot get away with sin. The Bible says in 1 John 5:16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. I believe that there can come a time in a believer's life that they refuse to repent, That they strayed from God, they refused to get right with God, and there can come a time when God says that's far enough, and He'll take them home. I believe that. And I believe an example in the Bible is Ananias and Sapphira. There is the story of them. They lied to the Holy Spirit, and both of them were taken just like that. Another example is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where the Bible says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That is the case of a man who was living in an incestuous relationship. And Paul says, Then we give him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. So I believe that there can come a time when a believer has so strayed from the Lord, embarrassed the Lord, embarrassed the kingdom, that God says that's as far as you go and God will take that person home so it can be saved from death. He said, and you cover a multitude of sins. Now, that does not mean that we sweep sin under the rug, but it means we deal with them. Wonderful verse of John, in 1 John, he said, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we are willing to deal with our sin, the Bible says that He forgives us, and as He forgives us of our current sin, as we deal with those, then we avoid future sin. Something else that we lose when we sin is our fellowship. And when we get right with God, that is, that is restored joy. In the 51st Psalm, David said, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. I remember that time when I dedicated anew my life to the Lord. And I'd been away from the Lord for a long time. And the joy that flooded my soul, simply to know that I was right with God again. The joy that had been missing in my life was restored. Compassion. Sin that steals our compassion. We don't care about other people. It was after that that a friend of mine and I started going down to the bars there in Oklahoma City and witnessing to people. Talking to them because I wanted to see them saved. We just wanted to see them come to know Jesus. Didn't know who they were. But just wanted to see them saved. Because when we are restored, compassion comes. Passion. Sin steals our passion. But when we are restored, there is such passion. I would read the Bible and, I, you know, I'd read it, but then all of a sudden it just came alive to me. And it meant so much to me. And I, I sometimes I'd laugh and I'd read the Bible. Just reading the Bible because there was such passion for the Word of God's service. I wanted to serve the Lord. I wanted to serve His people. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Peter, feed my sheep. You see... When we are restored to fellowship, we've been away from the Lord, and then we are restored, there is the passion that comes, and the compassion that is there as we care about people, and the joy that is there that floods our soul. I remember in my own life, I still remember that Sunday when I was under conviction and went forward. I had been saved when I was a boy, but away from the Lord for a long time. And I went forward and genuinely in my heart, I wanted to be right with God more than anything else. I wanted to be right with God. And that probably was the most dramatic decision I ever made because it changed my life so much. I had no plans of preaching. I just wanted to be right with God. And I got on my knees. The Lord forgave me. Restored me to fellowship. And ladies and gentlemen, I wouldn't take anything in the world for that relationship to the Lord. Where are you today? Have you strayed from the Lord? Probably we all have. But where are you now? Don't live that way. Don't live that way. Because God is faithful and willing to forgive and to cleanse and to restore, if you'll ask Him to. Our Father and God, I pray that you'll move in our midst today. I pray for those who are, who are saved. They know you. But Lord, they're living as if they're not saved. And I pray today that they might have the desire to be made right with you. And Father, that today they would dedicate anew you their life. That they might be right with Almighty God. I pray for others who need to join the church. And that's the thing you've spoken to them about. Lord, I pray for those who are not saved. They don't know you. That today they might be saved. Lord, draw them unto yourself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. The invitation today is if you are here and you're afraid from the Lord. Come today and get it right. Just come and dedicate. God, today I dedicate anew my life to you. Anew to you. Some of you without Christ, come today and trust Jesus. Or if He's spoken to you about becoming a member of this church, our doors are open to you. You come. I'll greet you as you come. Let's stand together as the choir sings, as they sing, You come.